Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ask Me Anything About Employment with Debbie Nicolella. My name is David Blair, and I'll be your moderator today. This webinar is not a presentation, but an interactive question and answer period. For the next hour, Debbie will take any questions you have related to engaging people with psychiatric disability and vocational recovery. Debbie has 30 years of experience with training, consultation, program management, and service provision uh, in supporting employment, career exploration, psychiatric rehabilitation, and recovery-oriented systems and services. Debbie currently serves as project director and lead trainer for the Advanced mm -hmm. Practitioner and Peer Support Training Project in engaging people with psychiatric disabilities in employment and vocational recovery at the Boston University Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation which teaches vocational rehabilitation, mental health, and peer support personnel about concepts and skills related to engaging adults in meaningful and vocational activity. Debbie has authored curricula, journal, and newsletter articles, and a book chapter on psychiatric rehabilitation and related topic areas, and is an experienced uh, trainer and speaker. That's quite a mouthful. <laughs> Uh, today's event is jointly funded by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, and the Center for Mental Health Services within the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The content of this webinar does not represent the views or policies of the funding agencies, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. During registration for the event, you are given the opportunity to submit any questions in advance. Over the course of the webinar, we will alternate between questions submitted in advance and the ones you have today. Uh, you may ask questions now by typing them into the chat box or letting me know you would like to ask it by phone. Well, welcome to the webinar, and I hope you enjoy the next hour. And welcome, Debbie. I know uh, you had a little introduction you uh, wanted to share with us, so why don't you go ahead and do that now? Sure. Well, I'll just add to um, the very kind introduction that you gave, David. Um, that uh, the webinar that we have today is in essence based on a course that we are offering right now as a part of our, um, our grant um, from SAMHSA and NIDLER to improve outcomes, uh, employment outcomes for people with psychiatric. And so this presentation today, or this Ask Me Anything, um, is really intended to be focused on how to engage people with psychiatric in employment and vocational recovery. So the uh, focus um, may be mostly on engagement strategies. How do we engage people in employment? What does vocational recovery look like? How do we support people around their motivation for employment and vocational recovery? How do we help people make choices about employment so that they can better engage in the employment um, support process, employment itself, vocational recovery for the world? So that's what I'll add. And I'm really uh, looking forward to talking with you all. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for spending your time with us and, and me and the questions I'll have and sure. the questions everyone has brought with us. Uh, we're going to start with something really broad and think poignant is what is vocational recovery and in general how do i how do i engage people in right that's it's a big question isn't it um so what is vocational recovery vocational recovery is a newer term a lot of people say you know i haven't really heard that term um but when we talk about vocational recovery we're not just talking about getting a job um, a lot of the focus on employment services is very justifiably getting uh, people into a job. When we talk about vocational recovery, we're talking about more than the job or a job. We're really talking about a trajectory, a path, a um, you know lifetime of vocational experiences and a lifetime of kind of honing who I am as a worker and as a productive citizen in the world. So vocational recovery probably has a variety of definitions and we all might come up with our own, but I really think about it as, you know, a lifetime of 
exploring and identifying and living out uh, a, a life of, of meaningful vocational activity. Um, so with that pretty broad uh, definition, I think you asked David, how do we engage people in that? And I, I think one of the first things that we need to recognize is that people with psychiatric disabilities, people in mental health recovery, people with um, you know psychiatric or mental health challenges can and do work, um, that that uh, possibility for a meaningful vocational life is real, is possible, um, and that all people can have a, a life of, of meaningful, you know, activity or experience. So there are many pieces to involving people in that, but I think it really starts with believing that people can and that even believing that people with some serious challenges and people who really struggle with the idea of work or, or struggle with um, symptoms and struggle with other, um, you know, life challenges can work. That we're probably not as a field talking about employment enough. And I'm, that's why I'm so delighted to see so many people um, with us today because we're probably not talking about employment enough in our services, in our support, um, in our peer support, in our mental health um, treatment support, um, and um, hopefully in our employment and vocational re rehabilitation supports. But that idea that we really, um, we start with a belief that people can work and that it is possible to engage people in a lifetime of meaningful work. You know, you mentioned your course, and I, Amy in the room just asked a question kind of yeah. tangentially related, so it's a chance to talk about that too, but Jess, what courses or workshops do you recommend for supported employment specialists to take to increase our success with clients for vocational work? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question, and I'm sure there are many, so I, I, can't, uh, I can't speak to them all, um, but I can speak to some of the ones that I know about that we offer um, I'll point people to some of the ones that we have going on now. Um, if anybody's interested in learning more um, about engaging people in employment and um, so uh, if you're interested in this particular course, um, the APPS course, APPS stands for uh, Advanced Practitioner and Peer Support <clears throat> Skills in uh, uh, Engaging People with Psychiatric Disabilities in Employment and Vocational Recovery. Uh, we are offering that course um, on a somewhat limited basis right now um, through the grant that we have for free. And so if you're interested in that course, email me. Um, you know, for this year, we'll be able to offer it for free. Um, so we'd be happy to um, involve you in that course if you're interested in, in it. Um, our website, which uh, David can post uh, in a little bit in the chat box, um, also uh, offers some courses in psychiatric rehabilitation, in um, engaging people in different ways. The other piece that we have is some products, and, and I don't mean this to be a sales pitch, but uh, I'm thinking about courses that I know of offhand that can support you in your work in engaging people in employment. There are some products that we uh, offer that are relatively cheap, that are downloads, um, that may be helpful. The self-directed um, uh, psychiatric rehabilitation tools um, could be helpful. There's some pieces in there that are really meant to do um, by the person. They're meant to be, uh, you know, it's like a workbook for the person, um, but that can be done with a support person, so a supported employment specialist or a peer specialist. A family member can do it with the person and really think through, you know, what are, <laughs> where am I in my motivation for um, thinking about work and, and how do I make a choice about what I want to do in the whole world of work out there? How do I, how do I know um, what direction to go in? And how do I figure out what skills and support and uh, things like that? So there, there are some products that we have on our, uh, our site. And I'll ask David to um, post the site. And we can also post my email address. I'll do that 
now edu um, is my email address. You can email me if you're interested in, in the course that we're offering. And I think there's a couple of people who are attending today who just took that course. Um, so we're happy to have you. Um, and there are certainly other classes out there uh, to support you. But those are some that I know that we offer. Uh, and uh, we try to keep things really low cost or free if we can. Offer. Thank you, David. I can see um, that you put our website on there. Great. Yeah. And, and I should mention, I'm pretty sure your course is free. At least it is. Right now. right now it's free. That's right. Okay. Um, Carla asks, what is the first step? And I'm guessing it's in engage uh, around employment. So what's the first step? In engaging people, um, well, I, I would say the first step beyond believing that is to uh, develop a real partnership with people. So one of the first things that I know we teach in our class is how do we develop a, a, a real partnership with people? Um, part of that is uh, really thinking through and learning with the person about what they're interested in, who they are as a person, and really honing our listening skills and our, uh, you know, partnership skills to be able to pay attention to what the person brings into the process. Um, a lot of times we have, you know, we have a process in mind and we bring our, our paper or our book or our workbook and we have a process that we intend to lead the person through. Um, but that process can be hollow if the person is not fully in there with us. So the very first thing that I would recommend doing is developing a real partnership with the person, no matter what your role is. And, and sometimes that's hard to do. You only have a certain amount of time with people. Um, but it's really key to, um, you know, involve the person as fully as you can in the process that they are taking ownership in the process and that you're not you know, pulling the person along. I, I hear that even in our last class, people were saying, you know, I, I think if I find that I'm doing all of the work that, um, you know, things aren't going so well. And, and I would say that's true. We want to engage people in ways that they want to be engaged in the vocational process and involve them as full partners in this process. So, you know, that can mean really finding out what parts of the process they already know about, what have they done, what are they good at, um, what are they not good at, what do they not know, um, you know, and varying the process that we involve people in depending on where they are, which sounds pretty simple and organic, but it takes a lot of work, as you know. Uh, so if you've been doing this work, you know that that can, that can take some time that um, can take some effort really on both sides. But what that can do is to, uh, you know, have a participant who's raring to go, who's interested in and who knows about the process enough to be able to participate in it. And I'll add that in order for the person to know about the process, we have to also uh, introduce people to the process, teach people about it, um, teach people about what's coming up, um, teach people how to participate in the process. So engaging people in employment and vocational recovery is in part sharing the process with the people that we serve so that they can participate in it and so that they can not only participate in it once, but have this as their own process. Um, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine who has been through a process like this about, you know, what was the process like for her back in the day? And she's now, you know, a researcher and working very successfully. And um, she has said, you know, it's really learning how to determine for myself how to assess each experience, whether it was successful or not. You know, and she, she'll be the first person to say, you know, I was fired, I was let go. I, you know, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't always uh, want the experience that I had, so I'd leave. There are a lot of experiences that she had. She said, I learned how to assess each of those experiences for myself and start to determine what worked for me, what doesn't, what do I like, what do I not like, so that I could make better and better employment decisions. And, and, you know, now she's been a worker for a long time, highly successful, um, and really looks back on that, 
process of being involved in a really key way as the basis of her success now, or at least one of the bases of that. So that's During what I would say. Your talk there. Yeah. During your answer yeah. there, you, you mentioned uh, a number of times about varying the process. And so mm. what, what I'm gathering is you have a plan, but if what you're presented with doesn't fit that mold, that, that step-by-step thing, you know, and sometimes you just have to abandon the plan and respond to that moment. Is, is that the right idea or, or am I off base? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, people come into the process in different places. Um, you know, not everybody comes in not having had employment experience or not knowing anything about, you know, the vocational support process. Um, some people have a lot of experience with that. Some people um, were very successful workers at some point and now want very specific parts. You know, my <laughs> my best example of this for myself and anybody who's in the course probably heard this example um, is a guy who came into our services at some point um, and he said, you know, I'd like to learn how to get a job. And I said, well, great. You know, we have all of these uh, services that we can offer you. We can help you determine your readiness for a job and your, we can help you choose the kind of job you want. We can help you keep the job. And he'd say, well, I'm really just looking to uh, learn how to get a job. And I was like, okay, so you really know what you want and we can help you choose which job that is. And we, you know, I had a, a process in mind that I was going to offer this guy. And he must have said about seven times, I really just want to learn how to get a job. And when I finally listened and said, so you want to learn how to get a job, I was finally able to not only, you know, knock on myself and say, listen, Debbie, listen. Um, but really tailor that process and teach him and learn myself in some ways all of the different skills that he needed in order to get a job. And then when we did that and really tailored that process to suit exactly where he was, he went out and got a job. And when he told me about it, I said, oh, that's great. You know, if you want help keeping the job, we can help you do that, too. And he said, no, thank you very much. You know, this has been great. I'm going to go to work now. <laughs> Um, so we really have to tailor it to the person where they are, what they want, what they're good at, um, and they what they what support they want us to offer. And I'm I'm going to skip around with people's questions because it's related to this process you're talking about right now. Uh, someone asked in the room, how do you suggest explaining the process to those individuals who may have a dual diagnosis of intellectual and developmental disabilities and a mental health diagnosis? Yeah. 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 And this question comes up a lot. You know, everybody has a different challenge. Everybody has different cognitive abilities, different people. You know, we at BU tend to be kind of wordy. And uh, so we um, have, you know, a lot of workbooks and books and things like this. We're university folk. Um, but nothing in the vocational rehabilitation process, the employment support process, you know, even our wordy books and such cannot be tailored to the person. And I think the real challenge, and there's no one answer for this, so I, I recognize that the person who's asking this question probably has a particular person in mind, and there's never really one answer for it, but feel free to take those materials, take the process, and make it available to the person. So if that means engaging the person with pictures, then engage them with pictures. If it's more about action, and doing, then tailor it with, with more activity. Um, if it's, you know, um, showing the person and then, and then supporting them to do it, then use that method. You can always tailor it to sort of help the person understand. And that's, I guess, the real key is whatever we have to do to help the person to understand and be as much of a part of the process as possible. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, organizations that have oriented people with developmental disabilities, for example, um, who were part of committees and such, by color coding the materials that they would hand out and go over as part of their committee work so that the person who um, you know, had a developmental disability could catch up with the piece of paper that they were working on um, by knowing that everybody's working right now and, and be able to easily maneuver um, 
through colors, through you know support. It can be even helping people with prompts. Um, so whatever people need in order to feel a part of the process and to be a part of the process. Thank you. You know, I may skip back to some of these questions that were submitted in advance just to give people who took the time to type it before a fair chance at asking, but I'm not forgetting about those in the room. I will be asking back and forth. Uh, Kristen, who's a vocational specialist, asks, how do I support someone who is sometimes motivated to work and then when a work opportunity becomes available, says he doesn't want to work? Right. Yeah, so uh, I bet that's a familiar one for a lot of folks. Um, you know, I think I've done that a time or two, too. Um, you know, making a change like work is scary. When we're talking about employment, we're talking about making it. And making a change can be challenging in all of the ways that making a change can be challenging. It can require resources. It can require skills that we may or may not be sure that we have. Um, it can be nerve-wracking. Um, it can challenge us on every level. And I think, um, you know, um, the people we serve also have those challenges, right? And they may have them at levels that we're not dealing with them. Um, so um, the question is, you know, how do I help people with motivation? And one of the things that I think about a lot is that, you know, it's hard to motivate people. I, I try to take that out of the, <laughs> the equation. Um, but uh, it is possible to help people to assess their own or explore their own motivation. Um, we call this different things depending on what piece of material you're looking at. Sometimes we call this assessing readiness. Um, sometimes we call this um, exploring motivational foundations or exploring motivation or engaging motivation. Um, but what it comes down to is exploring with the person, you know, to what extent do I have a need to make it now, given my satisfaction or the lack thereof with my current situation? So one of the things that could be happening for that person is that um, they may be feeling pressure from one place or another to make a change um, in their work status, but um, may actually feel pretty satisfied with not working. So that could be one piece that's, that's, uh, that we're not aware of. Um, I know I've run into that in my work um, and um, have experienced that myself. <laughs> not so sure I want to make that change because I'm actually happy with the way things are now. Um, another piece can be the beliefs that somebody has. So do I believe that I can make something like this happen? Do I believe that I have what it takes to make this happen? Is this really a change that I want? Do I think I want that? Um, you know, do I believe um, that I have enough support and the kinds of support that I need in order to make a change like this happen? Things like that can make a difference too. So if we haven't explored these questions, those might be kind of going behind, going um, kind of behind behind the scenes, and may stop the person from actually showing up at that interview or or, or continuing the work with you. Um, other things that can come up are things like, do I know enough to really start thinking about this stuff, and do I know enough to start this process with you? Do I know enough about the world of work? Do I know enough about myself as a worker? Like, do I feel knowledgeable enough to even enter? this process can be another. Um, so these kinds of things can be really um, key, uh, kind of question marks. I often think about it as if we can unearth some of the question marks that a person has, you know, the, the person might even have questions about, if I get a job, what's going to happen to my social security and am I going to lose my health insurance and, you know, I've been told that blah, blah, blah. I've been told that I'll never get back on. I've been told that I get cut off immediately, whatever. Um, and so if we can start to unearth the questions, whether they're kind of deep, do I need this? Or deep, <laughs> will I lose my social security kinds of questions? We can then start to help the person to answer and help them to feel like they're on more solid ground. Um, because if the person is feeling like, like they're on, uh, you know, sandy ground or uh, shaking ground, um, they're less likely to take the leap and continue with the process. 
So we recommend really exploring um, the motivational foundations that a person uh, might be considering in the background that we might not even know, and then helping the person to develop those, uh, you know, beliefs, the knowledge, that support, and even the need. Um, if the person would find it helpful, for example, to be introduced to possibilities so that they can really see a possibility for themselves, they can see a future for themselves, um, and uh, start to be introduced to the possibilities are, are some of the ways that we can address some of those questions. Another way to address them is if a person has questions about what happens to my benefits is getting them to benefits counseling. That um, So that is my recommendation. And if you want more information on that process, there's a couple of places on our website where you can uh, you know, get uh, books on that, um, uh, workbooks on that, um, and even our course that I mentioned before addresses this piece as one of the modules. Um, so this is an interesting piece that we have to offer. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Um, and so there, there are questions here. I may try to ask them with this uh, engaging in employment bend as best I can. Uh, yeah. The first one is uh, Natalie. And she asked, is there any vocational assessments or vocational exploration exercises that you can recommend for this population or any particular handouts that you can think of? I think she's looking for ways to help guide people, what, you know, things she can give them. Uh, and if yeah. I'm overstepping, Natalie, please, please let me know. I'm just trying to make it gen generic mm -hmm. enough that Debbie can answer. And you said vocational exploration, David? Yes. Okay. So that sounds to me like, how do we help people to make a choice? And, and there are, you know, the simple question of, are there handouts? Are there, are there worksheets? Um, yes, there are a couple. I, you know, those self-directed psych rehab activities is, is one, uh, that's out there on, on our website again. Um, that's a possibility that has worksheets. It's all worksheets. It's really meant for the person to kind of work through their pro through the process themselves. Um, but a simple way that you can just use a piece of scratch paper um, is to think about the kinds of experiences that the person has had. So to have a conversation with the person about what are their past experiences. And I think this was one of the more powerful uh, pieces that people who got to module four in our course uh, really experience is having a conversation with people about their previous experiences and not just what have you done before, but really looking into depth around, you know, what did you like about that experience? What did you not like? What were you good at? What were you not so good at? And have people even write something about it. You know, we sometimes call that a, a vita or, you know, the resume that you'll never hand an employer. But it's really just a sense of, you know, what kinds of, um, of tasks did you do? What kinds of things did you do? And uh, what was the environment like? What were the people like? And what kinds of things did you like, not like, or good at, not so good at? And start to translate those um, experiences and those likes and dislikes into preferences for the future. So I think this is one of the more powerful things that psychiatric rehabilitation has to offer the field of employment, um, is helping people to make a choice about what they want to do. Um, it's one of the things that kind of turns more traditional vocational rehabilitation on its head a little bit. Um, in that we used to sort of say, so what can you do and let's place you there. <laughs> and in psychiatric rehabilitation, we say, where do you want to go and how can we help you get there? And it's a very different thing. And I think it's important for people who have traditionally been, you know, left out of decision making or, or um, had choices taken away um, for a variety of different reasons who have just not had the opportunity sometimes to be participants in choices like this, to be able to say, you know, in, in essence, what would you like? But not just asking that question, that's too big of a question. It's almost like taking, you know, somebody who's never been to this country to the cereal aisle in your local grocery store and saying, which cereal would you like? It's too big a question, there's too many, and the person may not know enough to know which one is which. So 
um, the question is really, given what you've done in the past, even if you've had very little employment experience, you know, it could be experience in school, it could be experience with volunteering, it could be taking care of a sick family member, could be military experience. Given the experiences that you have, what have you learned about yourself and the world of work, and what does that mean for you as you think about moving forward? What kinds of things would you like to see again? What would you like to do again? What kind of people would you like to work with? Um, and what kinds of things would you not like to see again? And how can we translate that into something that you're looking for? Um, so that's a really simple thing you can do on scrap paper, but kind of help people to be a participant in a choice like that. And David, before you ask me the next question, I'll say that I know I've had people say to me after participating in a process like that, say, do you mean that I have a choice about the jobs that I get? You know, that I, basically I don't just have to take whatever job people have for me. Yes, you, you also are a decision maker here. That's the key. So, so a lot of what I'm hearing you say is it's about more than any worksheet, it's getting people to think about what they want to talk about what, and then you as the specialist to really listen and respond and help them look for that. And, and by doing that, by engaging them in that process, you can help people become interested in working and, you know, really seek yeah. it out instead of right. just along for the ride. Right. And that's not to say that, you know, everybody's, you know, all of their preferences are going to be found in the perfect job everywhere. That's not that's not the idea. But the idea is to really listen for what the person is looking for. And then, you know, the next obvious step is to take a look at what what is out there. If the person's looking for a job. What jobs are out there in your neighborhood? Um, if the person is looking for a training program, you know, what training programs address that? Um, it could be the person's just thinking about what field they might go in and then uh, into and then therefore what do I need to do next? Um, but to look at some of the realities, right, what's out there and see which one is the best match. You know, the, the most important piece I would say is that preference piece because once you have that, you can take a look at what's out there, evaluate those according to the person's preferences and then um, support the person to make the best choice for them. And it's often, you know, a, 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 an involved process. It can be a difficult process. It can be a process that takes a little time because you're researching the possibilities. Um, but it also can be very rewarding and, again, involves the person from the get-go in figuring out what makes sense for them. And you're right, David. By doing that, we have buy-in from the person. It's hopefully going to be a better match because it's really associated with what the person is looking for. It's sort of like what we do all the time. It's sharing that process of, you know, if you're looking for a new house or a new apartment, you know, you think about how much light you want, what kind of kitchen you want, how many bedrooms you want, whatever it is. We think about, given my past experience with this, what do I want now? And um, who has the closest to my perfect vision? And is is that enough? Can Do I want that thing? Sure. You know, and, and you've talked a lot here about finding what the person wants. And Evan in the room asks, uh, I've met a number of people who had professional level jobs, but have been out of work for a while. They find uh, when they try to reenter the workforce, they have trouble finding services that will help them get back to the level of employment they had previously. Services mm -hmm. tend to provide help for getting entry-level positions, but not above mm -hmm. that. Can you tell me if there are any services in the for Evan in the Boston area that help people recover secure and secure more advanced levels of employment? And I guess mm -hmm. more generally as well, not just Boston, but you know, for everyone yeah. else listening from North Carolina or you know California. Yeah, no, I think that's such a great question. You know, one of the things that we tend to think about is that people traditionally have been placed in, uh, you know, the what's become known as the five or six or seven Fs. Um, so food jobs, quote unquote, filth jobs, right? Um, you know, cleaning and stuff, flowers, folding, uh, filing. <laughs> There's a bunch of Fs out there. And, you know, that, that really, there's a lot of jobs in there that really work for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everyone. And so if somebody was an accountant before or a researcher or a, 
you know, a business owner, um, you know, what makes sense for me now is the great question. And, and I think that's true. A lot of programs sort of say, well, we have, and this is, I'm not trying to put down any particular program, but here are the jobs that we have, which one would you like? Um, and that comes out of, you know, working with employers and trying to find employers that who will hire uh, some of the people that they serve. Um, but you're right, Evan, that it's not tailoring the process to the people who are walking through the door. And you're really looking. Um, uh, there probably are services in Boston. There probably are some services across the country that do that. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll put out a, a, a call to everyone. Really pay attention when people are coming in with, you know, a lot of experience. We have to really think about, so how do we help this person rejoin the workforce? And it is a little bit hard to find, um, but how do we help this person to rejoin the workforce? I know, um, I, you know, we taught this process in a in a class um, with folks who were thinking about work, and one of the people was somebody who had a very high up job in a publishing company, um, and as the last job that they had, and was really discouraged about, you know, what the possibilities were and, you know, I'll never work again. You know, it's just a huge cloud hanging over this person's head and through going through this process, through really just thinking through what, is, what are my preferences given my experiences, even just exploring what was the good, the bad, and the ugly of my last experiences was actually really helpful because then uh, this person realized that not every piece of that experience was bad. Um, that there were some things that they really loved and actually figured out a whole new career um, and took that into a new career, got some training, started working. I don't know what they're doing now, but um, really took that and translated their experience into, you know, I'm not trying to get back to where I was, but given all of that, and the truth is I kind of hated it, <laughs> what do I want to do now? And really thinking about career development for people who, um, with a, a high level of experience. You know, and drawing upon one of our previous sessions with uh, Len Statham, uh, he said as the vocational specialists try to build their network, it is the smaller, you know, the smaller employers, not your big name employers, but the smaller employers who are more likely or more willing to take a risk. And so, as a vocational specialist, you know, build that network with those small employers in your town and maybe opportunities for them will present themselves instead of a large corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love it. So, and, you know, uh, this, I want to mention too, David, that uh, I think we have some of those previous uh, AMAs that ask me anything. Uh, archived, is that true? Can people access those if they're interested in hearing more from Len or from uh, you know, any of our previous speakers? Uh, yeah, actually, they're all online. I'll post a link for everyone uh, Great. In, in a second. And the transcripts Great. of them are up, too, so you, you don't have to listen to the whole thing. You can read or search for what you want in it. So while I paste that, I'll ask the next question uh, from Scott. And he says, um, how important is focusing on one's education level? Many positions we see in New York City mandate a high school diploma or a GED. How would one address both the educational aspects and developing skills set to obtain employment? So really, you know, as you engage them, the fears they face of, I'm not qualified for anything. So how does one engage that and, and get around these education requirements? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? And a lot of employers now have a lot of weeding out tools um, that they're using to, you know, uh, everything from software to HR itself, just weeding out anybody who doesn't match those uh, criteria. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one is that kind of riffing off what Len Statham said uh, about the smaller employers, one of the things that we can do if a person, you know, does not um, have the educational requirements to meet a lot of the jobs that they're interested in is to start to partner with employers who are, um, you know, interested in quality help um, who may or may not have that background. You know, there have been a lot of people in the world who are very, very bright and very good workers who didn't have the educational qualification that one might 
you know, think they needed to have or, or something like that. So working with employers um, who are interested and who have a need, you know, finding out what employers actually need, um, not only, uh, you know, looking at the job descriptions that are out there, but maybe even talking with employers about what kinds of jobs are unfilled, what kinds of things are stretching their employees so much that they can't get other work done that maybe they can carve out a piece of a job that somebody um, could do who does and doesn't need an, uh, a GED for. Um, you know, those kinds of things can be really helpful to people to help, pe help employers identify the kinds of jobs that they have uh, that they could hire people for without that kind of educational requirement. The other plug I'm going to give is for education. So if, if we can help people to get that education, if they're interested in it, um, boy, that takes people places. You know, the higher the education people have, the better they often do, both financially and in terms of a career. So I'd really recommend finding the uh, programs in your community that help people get their GED, that help people to get basic education, that help people, you know, get higher education because that can often take them places. So that might be another thing to either add into the pile or to help people to uh, think about, consider um, getting that education so that they can get the kinds of employment they, that they want. So a two-sided piece there. Would you say with respect to education that in this conversation about engaging people in employment that they do education first and then work on jobs or is it one of those, you know, co-occurring things like you, you're working on getting a job and at the same time you're improving your skills? You know, is it something, is it too much? Right. Is it the right choice? It's really going to depend on the person, isn't it? Uh, some people are going to want to get that GED first before they can even consider a job. Other people need a job now. They need the money. They um, need to be productive. They need to be um, doing something. And I say need because either they feel like they need it or they may have an external force that's kind of pushing them into work or both. Um, uh, some people might want to do both, do some part-time work and, and, you know, take a class at a time kind of thing. Um, everybody's different. Everybody has different capacities. Everybody has different um you know, desire for and, and sort of room for um, the amount of stuff that they want to take on. For, you know, different people experience work and school differently, so the challenges may vary. Some people may think that, you know, school is too big a thing to take on right now, and other folks may think that work is too big a thing to take on. Some people will be excited to do both. So I would pay attention to you know, what the person gets really excited about, what they want to do first. You know, sometimes hard to tease out, um, but to start to explore the possibilities, looking at the very real situations that people are in um, and and helping them to make the best decision that they can make at that. You know, and I'm going back to one of these uh, things mm -hmm. from before. You've mentioned a lot about things where people seem to show an interest and have a direction, but what and the question is, what do I do with people who don't seem to have a particular employment goal or a particular direction that they're going? You know, I, I think there are people who might end up in this process simply because someone suggested it and they didn't say no. Right, right. What brings you here? My case manager told me to come. Yes. Um, uh, that just happens a lot, right? Or, or my mom suggested it or, um, I don't know, I thought I'd see what you do. Um, yeah, so if the person doesn't know... Um, again, uh, you know, I would start with the motivation question. And that's not to say, are you motivated? That's not the question. But the question is to see with the person, you know, where is your motivation? Um, do you feel a need to make a change now? It, do you, is this something, you know, is making a vocational change something that you want? Does it have, um, do you think it has enough benefit for you that it outweighs any risk that it carries, or do the risks really outweigh the benefits? Um, you know, do you believe you have support for this? Is this something you know a lot about? Um, really start to explore some of those motivational factors and help the person to really develop any that are tricky for the person. And then helping people to make informed vocational choices 
um, I think can be a really beautiful thing. Um, some of sometimes people need experience in the you know in work in order to even start to be able to think about making a choice. They may not have any experience with work at all. So one of the things that we can do to kind of develop motivation for work is to help people to experience, which sounds a little bit backwards, right? But the reality is that if a person doesn't have a lot of experience with work, we can help people to have a series of experiences with work. Um, my old mentor used to call it a series of successful experiences, which is a whole lot of S sounds. Um, but it's, it's a good point, you know, helping people to try out work, um, see what they like, see what they were good at, and then keep trying out different pieces to start to really hone in a vocational identity for themselves, hone their uh, knowledge of the world of work, and to start to really decide for themselves, is this something that I want in my life? And if so, what would that look like? Um, going to the, the next question we have on the list, uh, and, yeah. and I think this is one we get a lot, it's around disclosure. Uh, mm -hmm. Lauren asks, about returning for work for a person with a psychiatric disability, uh, mm -hmm. do you disclose diagnos diagnosis upon the return to work or not? What are the kind of pros and cons of this and what's your approach and uh, what do you recommend in, in your opinion? And, and before you answer that, I'll, I'll give the general answer that I, I've heard time and time again is that it is up to the individual to decide if they want to disclose or not. They do not have to disclose, but if mm -hmm. they want protections and accommodations that the law provides for them, they have to disclose, and, and quite honestly, they have to disclose before they need the accommodation. Uh, and they should do it in, in writing. Even if they present it to their boss in person, they should follow it up in writing. That way there's a documented trail. So kind yeah. of with that groundwork laid for you, uh, you know, how, what's your approach to disclose? Yeah, I agree with the personal decision piece. And there's a lot to the decision about to, about whether or not to disclose, when to disclose, who to disclose to, um, where to disclose, um, you know, under what circumstances to disclose. Um, you know, I can say that when not to disclose is probably the day that you're getting fired. You can't fire me. I have a disability. It's not going to work. It doesn't, at least you don't have protection under the law for that. But if you're looking for more information about, you know, uh, the ins and outs of disclosure, the ins and outs of accommodation, you might even be wondering what the heck is an accommodation or what's one, you know, for people with psychiatric disabilities, I really recommend two things. One is um, askjan.org, and David, if you could write that in there, askjan.org um, is a website for the Job Accommodation Network. They are the resource for uh, disclosure and accommodations and, you know, Americans with Disability Act uh, information in this country. They are tremendous, and they have a whole section on psychiatric disabilities. You can look up accommodations by, um, like, diagnosis or kind of disability. Um, so they, they have tremendous resources in there. They have forms that you can use to um, give an employer if the employer doesn't have one already. They have um, information about how one can disclose. You can just tell an employer in real English, uh, you know, what what you need. Um, so there's a lot more information that they have. And I believe, David, since you've been the host of all of these, that um, the head of the Job Accommodation Network did one of these AM, uh, some months ago. Do I remember that right? Yeah, I, I, I think it was Job Accommodation Network. Lou Orslin yes. uh, did it, but I, I forget what his, his job is. Yes. Oh, he's the co-director so, of, of Dan. He is the yes. co-director of Dan. Yeah. So he, he did one, and we have that archived. Um, so you can also hear, um, you know, Lou talk about uh, these issues, uh, you know, on, on an AMA just like this, and then go to the website for a lot more information. So I'll not try to be your, 
your key informant about that, but allow Jan to do that. They're really uh, a wonderful resource. Okay, sure, and and just kind of following up, Evan just wrote in the room, is there, it is my understanding that there is no legal requirement to disclose prior to requesting an accommodation, although it's right. a good idea. Uh, also, we're not lawyers, uh, but we just have the experience of having seen these questions a bunch of times. So, you know, these are the general guidelines that Ask Jan uh, is the type place to go for, you know, the exact legal question and how to, how to approach it. Yeah, um, ask.org. Yeah, and, and the link's in the room. And uh, Carla asked, uh, this is a while ago, uh, what about individuals with criminal background barriers to employment? And this was, I believe, related to, uh, you know, people who don't have the academic qualifications. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, because I know we're running out of time here, that there's an entire Ask Me Anything uh, about hiring recruiting uh, peers with Laverne Miller, and in yeah. that, that she really gets into people with uh, criminal backgrounds, forensic backgrounds, and how to approach it. But it, it's really just the summary of what happened is it's believing that you can work, that you can make meaningful contributions, and owning and accepting what your background is, but not letting that determine what you're, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the summary of the advice she had to give. Uh, and you know, that approach uh, you can just take forward. So I'm not the expert yeah. here today, but I yeah. a lot of questions outside the scope that I wanted to make sure we at least get, get answers yeah. for people. And I recommend, you know, pulling up that archived AMA, it's just an hour and she's a really great resource and I, I listened to that one it was wonderful so i recommend it um so uh next question is how do i support people who seem to be unmotivated for it well <laughs> this might be a good way to wrap this session up um you know I, i'll say that um what looks sometimes like a lack of motivation could be a lot of things it could be resignation to my fate so to speak you know that feeling of well if this is as good as it gets well then i guess i'll just um i'll just stay here um it may be that we as a system have done such a quote unquote good job at teaching people how to be quote unquote good patients that people might not be kind of pushing against the status quo and saying i want to work and you need to help me figure that out um and it may be that people are, you know, change is a huge thing. And that um, just saying, would you like to go to work? Maybe, uh, oh, I don't know what happened there with the light. Um, but maybe kind of a scary question. And to help people to break that down into sort of bite-sized pieces and explore, you know, that motivational foundation kind of piece, that readiness piece. Um, you know, do I have a need for this? Do I want it? Do I believe in it? You know, all of these pieces um, can really help people to decide for themselves. And I'll say lastly, share the process with people so that they understand what it is that you're interested in doing with them and that they can take it on and learn it for themselves. I think that will get us beyond the this person isn't motivated kind of question. A person may have motivations we don't know about. Sure. Well, Debbie, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to answer everyone's questions today. I know we didn't get to everyone. And if there is some burning question you have, uh, please email sci-rehab at bu.edu. And we'll uh, pass that message along to someone who will try to, to help you out or point you to someone who can answer your question. Uh, thank you again. And we look forward to having you join us in the future. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.